You're listening to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast with me, Alexia Leachman. Let me help you to take the fear out of pregnancy, birth and beyond with a mix of real life stories and experts sharing their wisdom. I'll also be sharing psychology insights to help you to cultivate a fearless mindset. Be inspired and be empowered with Fear Free Childbirth. And now it's time for the show. Hello and welcome back to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. My name is Alexa Leachman. Thank you so much for joining me today. On today's show, I'm going to be diving into the topic of how can we reduce conflict and backlash in the birth space? So this is really a conversation that is best suited for the professionals that work in birth, the midwives, the doulas, the lactation consultants, the childbirth educators. In fact, if you're somebody that supports families on the pregnancy and birth journey, then this conversation is for you. But that's not to say that if you're pregnant, that there's no value in this conversation either, because, oh my goodness, yes, there is. This is a conversation that I think everyone who is interested in birth, whether that's because you're pregnant or because you work with people who are pregnant, this is such an important conversation because there is conflict in birth. There are days when people are rude, that feel misunderstood, that ignore people, that treat them with disrespect, that feel like they're not being listened to, that maybe feel like they're being disrespected. And so these are features of many people's lives, whether it's a job in birth or even whether you work in a call centre or somewhere else. These are just human human things, right? They're, they're When we have a bad day at the office, These are the kind of things that we experience where we feel that somebody hasn't listened to us, somebody has bullied us, somebody has treated us badly and not given us the opportunity to get what we want out of a situation. This is why this is a conversation that needs to happen because when it comes to birth, there are some very important things happening, i.e. there's a baby being born. There is a woman making the transition into being a mother. This is an important time in her life. And of course, because it's birth, it means that we are in the realms of possibility of very difficult situations unfolding. Life or death could be within moments of happening. So of course, there's stress. Of course, there's anxiety from all sides. And so when we realise the the cooking pot that is the birth space and how much emotion is involved, you know, there are people involved that have been working long hours. You know, labour can go into 24 hours. It can get exhausting. There can be frayed nerves. So, you know, within this context, it's easy to understand that there are times when people maybe don't treat others with respect, that maybe do lash out and maybe it's not required. And so this is what I want to talk about today, because it's a conversation that needs to happen because we often hear talking about the toxicity in the system, in inverted commas, toxicity in the hospital environments, medical environments, where maybe midwives don't always feel like they can do the best they want to do because of the system again, in inverted commas. And so today in this conversation, I want to dig into that and try and figure out what are we talking about when we're talking about the system? Whose system? And what can we do to maybe reduce this conflict so that all of these professionals that are involved in supporting families can work together? Because let's remember, the overall objective here is to help families bring a new little baby into the world and for that experience to be as positive as possible. 
for the woman to have an experience that she's going to remember fondly for the baby to come into the world and for that, that for that not to be a difficult and traumatic experience for them. This is what we all want. Anybody that gets into the world of birth to work is doing it because they desperately want to make that happen for families. But sometimes it doesn't always go the way we want. So today I'm going to be joined by Jenny Coslow and we're going to be diving into maybe what is going on here and what can we do about it as professionals that support families. And if you're sitting here pregnant listening to this going, oh, well, this isn't a conversation for me, then let me stop you right there. It absolutely is. Part of this conversation also talks about the importance of preparing for birth and how this can be such a huge determining factor in this whole cocktail of what's going on. So don't think you can get away that easily with not listening to this episode. So as I'm sure you'll agree, this is an important conversation to have. And so I thought I would get somebody who is very well placed to have this conversation. This is somebody that acts as a go-between between these different groups of people, the different professionals, to help to do just that, to help to reduce this conflict that is going on in the workplace. And this person is Jenny Coslow. Jenny works all over the world in helping birth professionals to, to work more respectfully together, to better understand each other, to, to help to take that conflict and backlash out of the birthplace. Because ultimately, what we're all here to do is to help families to have wonderful birth experiences. And that's what she is committed to. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to ensure that all the professionals involved work together to this common goal of supporting families and placing families at the centre of their care. So this conversation, I think, is going to push a few buttons, if I'm honest. I think there are going to be some people sitting here listening to this going, what, what? They're all going to be triggered left, right and centre. And my word to you is if, if that's you, then make a note of your triggers, make a note of what's going on and why you're annoyed at what Jenny is saying, because that's a hint that you probably need to do some head trash clearance. So um, yeah, you might be triggered. And if you are brilliant, lap it up, be welcome the triggers, welcome the comments that maybe don't sit well with you, that make you feel uncomfortable, because that's what this is about. We are not going to get through this if we're constantly pussyfooting around the issues that need to be said. So um, yeah, I, I might sound a bit feisty right now, but I mean it. There are difficult conversations to be had. And the only way that we're going to get through this is if we take a look in the mirror. And if you're not looking in the mirror to take a hard look at yourself, then maybe you need somebody else to hold that up at you. And maybe this episode is that. So when you do listen to this conversation, ask yourself whether or not you're guilty of any of these things. Ask yourself, what is it that you could do to help not behave in this way when you're with others? Are you guilty of some of these things? You know, maybe you feel that you're on the receiving end of some of these treatment, the way that you're being treated by this, but maybe you dish it out too. This is time to be honest with yourself because it's only by being honest with who we are and how we are in the world that we can bring about positive change. And it's with that intention that I'm putting out this episode and it's with that intention that Jenny joined me for this conversation. So um, I do hope that, that is how you receive it. Listen and, well, maybe not enjoy, but listen and take heart. Hello, Jenny. Welcome to this conversation that we're going to have all about um, reducing conflict and backlash in the birth space. So I can't wait for this. So just tell us a little bit about like who you are and what you do so that people have got a little bit of context for this conversation. 
Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me because I'm really excited to talk about this. Um, I'm a perinatal educator with about 40 years of experience, but I also travel a lot. So I am a um, <clears throat> person who loves to listen to people's stories. And um, I realized that, that I had accumulated hundreds and hundreds of stories between birth workers. I mean, also with mothers, but mainly with OBGYNs and with doulas and with midwives and with obstetrical nurses and with breastfeeding um, uh, lactation consultants. I'm thinking in Spanish because I usually work in Spanish so you can see my mind making the translation. So anyway, I was just getting all of these stories in countries all over the world. And I thought, this is so helpful because um, if people could just hear uh, what others are saying about them or thinking about them, um, there would be so much better understanding and we could work more collaboratively because what I find is most of the stories are, are about they don't respect us and we feel invisible and they have to stop doing this. And it, it was so much about them that I was thinking, where did the gestational family go? Where's the couple? Where's the new mother? And all of that. So I started to offer um, to do um, lectures, basically, on what I was experiencing as a listener so that we could maybe have a better understanding of where the obstacles are and are being able to move forward for the betterment of maternity healthcare workers, but also, and most importantly, for the new family. Mm. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. What A little bit of what those stories are, are what they're saying. Yeah, and it's really interesting because a lot of people, they are they can be so focused on self in that environment because it can be so highly pressured or highly um you know people are tired they maybe don't have their full resources available to them because they're exhausted they're probably suffering from anxiety and the pressures of maybe working long hours uh, and so they're not their best self in those environments but also maybe they've just got a lot of unresolved stuff of their own and they're getting triggered a lot and so all of this is showing up in some of the ways that you described is that is that how you see maybe some of this the, the reason behind some of this or is it what, well, what are your thoughts? I, um, I do a lot of social experimentation so I do informal surveys on the street I have get-togethers with people I don't know to see how open they are to meeting people um, for the first time I'm fascinated by the human condition and social settings and I love group process but I think it's a little bit of feeling that they could talk to me. It was a safe place because I was passing through. I mm. wasn't going to, I wasn't gossiping. I wasn't gathering the information to use it against them. I was genuinely curious and open to wanting to hear their story and really feeling that it could end up helping others. And so people um, I found were very, very forthcoming with their very, very personal feelings about the frustrations they had as a birth worker. And um, and I go to a lot of events. Um, I just went to the Midwifery Today conference in Germany. I go to mm, all sorts of events uh, in the whole spectrum of the birth world to really kind of be a listener um, on the sideline and say, wow, I don't even think they're aware how 
they're coming off as being very either open to change or resistant to change or where the focus was. And I think I'm very perceptive. I have kind of an intuitive way of, of really kind of hitting the mark with what people were actually trying to say, um, what was underneath the words. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a lovely thing when we can be more, a little bit more humble and say, yes, we really do need to improve and we are doing good things, each of us, but um, so much of the criticism I found given from one group to another was exactly what they themselves were doing mm. and maybe even worse. <laughs> so some of these groups, are we talking maybe midwives versus lactation yeah. consultants versus doulas, the, these kind of different professions that maybe interact and come together a, a, along the journey of that new family or the family that's about to, you know, bring a little new human into the world. Is it, and the intersection as to where all these professionals maybe have contact with each other. Is that what you exactly. mean? Exactly. So it's the circle of care, which was a very basic uh, International Childbirth Education Association concept way back in the, you know, the 70s. Um, and it's really uh, a wonderful idea how we each basically putting the pregnant woman and her partner and the, the baby to be in the center all the professionals who were all just as important and were contributing something that was absolutely necessary. But then we need to talk about how are they all getting along with each other? And they're really not getting along very well. So um, again, that's my perspective standing back and looking at all that. And the, the way I explain it when I give workshops and, and the rest, I'm just gonna use a piece of paper. I'm very analog, I use very little technology. Just to kind of explain um, that when we look at the birth world today, uh, I'm going to actually divide it. And I'm going to say that basically there's what I call a biomedical side. And there's a more naturalistic side. And we can change those words. The words don't matter. But basically, we have these two sides. And what we're going to find is we're going to find extremes. So if I were to ask you, what would be the most extreme, extremely natural birth that comes to mind? What would you say? Lotus birth, probably, or a free birth. Right. And we're actually getting to like in the open air. Um, we're having free birth thing is over on this side, lotus birth exactly. We're getting to that kind of a birth experience. And when we go over to the more medical side and we go to the extreme, the extremely medicalized birth, what would come to mind? C-section. We can go way, way more than that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> become so normalized that it's not considered an extreme anymore. So oh, we're so actually, you're thinking... we're getting into surrogacy, we're getting into artificial wombs, we're getting oh, into okay, yeah. fertility treatments that are, you know, we're really going way beyond the, you know. If we were to divide this into thinking that that mm, anatomy is basically it's a machine that's working, you know, there's more of the idea of, of a mechanical way of giving birth this way, a more natural humanistic side on this side. And when we look at this, you know, it's broke broken up basically. We have um, birth in private clinics. We have birth in public hospitals. We go over to the other side and we have birthing centers, birthing homes. 
And then we have homework. And each one of these has professionals that basically represent each of these places who have births. So we're basically talking about OBGYNs, their surgeons, etc., and the type of birth we're mainly going to see in this setting are C-sections, cesareans. Okay. Then we move over to public hospitals. We do have anesthesia in some of them, not all of them. And we're basically, depending on where you are in the world, but you're having obstetrical nurses, for example, in all of Latin America, there are obstetrical nurses who are basically the ones delivering those babies. You have uh, midwives um, in other parts of the world, et cetera, and basically doing it. And the OBGYN comes in when there's a complication, but the most adverse will be handled by these midwives or obstetrical nurses. Um, and they will be vaginal, some will be with epidural and there will be some cesarean sections. Okay, so there's this, there's a from a minimal to a maximum amount of medical intervention happening on this side. When we go over to birthing centers, uh, birthing homes, we're going to usually find midwives who are the ones running them, um, and we're talking about vaginal birth with basically very very little medical intervention. Okay, and home births, these are independent midwives autonomous midwives, and then we're even getting into here, we're getting into traditional midwives, okay, um, that are more in rural areas and have a tradition, you know, we're talking about Mexico and many places where they have this wonderful tradition. Um, so each one of these has kind of like a value system, a set of protocols in their minds, a manual, it's not real, but a, on how you act when you represent this group. Um, so like if you're over here, you're, if I observe, I, I will go to many um, lectures or courses or training classes, and I just observe, I'm not so interested in what they're saying, I'm interested in how they're saying, because that's my specialty, it's in teaching methodologies. And they will dress a certain way on this side, different than here. They will wear different perfume if they were perfume at all. They'll use incense. They'll have certain kinds of shoes. They'll believe in, I mean, the whole thing is set up that there's a certain way you act when you are part of this system. Unfortunately, this side thinks that this is the system. But this is also a system. It's the non-system. It's that we, we don't like the system system. Okay, so this is also a system. And basically, this system, for all its faults, is busy doing their day-to-day -day job. And they're just minding their business in great part. This side mm, uh, spends lots of time and energy discrediting the system. I mean, it's almost like a full-time job. They need to basically say what's wrong with this side in order to justify why they are necessary. And we have new professionals, you know, on the field. We have people who uh, feel very disempowered. We have midwives in hospitals that feel that their the values of midwifery have been taken from them. They're very frustrated. Um, there's some things that everyone has in common, basically that the OBGYNs are a big problem with humanized birth and respected birth, but we're also overlooking that every day I am noticing um, changes and 
they are happening. I can tell you that there are OBGYNs who have um, crossed the aisle and learned um, how to be doulas. And these are OBGYNs. Um, we see more people on this side wanting to get more of the psycho-emotional support, the humanistic values, than we see people on this side doing the hard work of getting better skills in physiology. And for example, the doula movement, which has been an amazing movement. I mean, talk about successful. Um, I think one of the problems that it's it's created, it's created a lot of wonderful things for people, but it happened very quickly and very successfully. And all of a sudden uh, we had doula training courses for the last 20 years that basically have become a huge business. Um, but since it works in the realm of service and they like to say, I'm also doula, just to, just to mention that, that they're, you know, that it translates in the Greek meaning ser servant. Um, but then we have this whole thing about business and how to, you know, how to be um, compensated and of course all those things. So it is a big business, okay? That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that, but then we can't, we can't get credit for being altruistic, which is what I heard in the interview the other day, it's like, it is an altruism. It's, it's not, it's not philanthropy. It is, it's a business. Okay. And since it has to do with empathy and kindness and supporting each other and all those lovely, wonderful things, there is a big conflict with how to present themselves. So you just have to be kind of like honest about it. So because there's so many doula training programs all over the world, some of them are like, come to Costa Rica for a weekend and, you know, we'll do some yoga and you get to go home with a certificate that says you've been trained as a doula. Um, we have what I've seen, um, and I was, I was formally trained as a perinatal educator in the United States almost 40 years ago. All the prenatal education uh, training courses started to see that people didn't want to do that anymore. They really wanted to be doulas. The doulas was a big thing. So they all kind of downsized their prenatal education part, and they became doula trainers as well. And uh, it became a very big business because that's where all the money was. I hate to say that, but what do you want me to say? I mean, it became this big business. We now have a surplus of doulas. Um in the world that are trained, but have very, very little experience, have only seen two births. One was their own and one was their best friends, you know? And so we have doulas basically uh, preparing their couples, but um, they don't ne necessarily have the experience and especially the, the basics and physiology to do it properly. So what do we see? We see people who sit down and with all this passion and things, you know, without the subtleties, but these blocks of generalizations tell couples, this is what will happen in labor. And um, there's a responsibility that comes from preparing couples for childbirth. I mean, you have to kind of be able to say, this is what I know and this is what I don't know. And so I'm not going to talk about physiology because it's not my field i'm going to invite 
an OBGYN, an obstetrical nurse, or a midwife to come and give that part of it. You know, it's like that kind of uh, being able to delineate where we can contribute and where we shouldn't because it's not ethical. I don't see that happening in the birth world. So when I it see comes a lot to, of blurred lines. When it comes to childbirth education, where does that sit? Because in the UK, which is where I went through my pregnancies, it's up to the parent to go and seek that out. So, and then you have to spend money on that. And some people don't, they just don't have the budget and they choose not to do that um, because they can't afford it for whatever reason. So, so there's a gap. It's not like, I don't know, I, I get a sense maybe that you're saying that doulas have, have come in and now there's no childbirth educators, but actually we, we, there isn't, I don't think there's a system or a way of educating not just women, but everybody as to birth. I mean, that should really be happening at school as far as I'm concerned. Totally. Because totally. It's the whole, it's, it's, it's so yeah. broken, right? Well, so we act, we act like we have this, this, this secret knowledge, you know, and it's almost like played up, like we're going to give you this, the, this, but it's basic knowledge that just isn't being taught. That should be mm. taught from the very, I mean, I've given sex education classes um, to 11 year olds and their questions are fantastic, but neither they nor their mothers, neither neither their grandmothers would understand the answer because they don't have a context because they don't have an understanding of, of even how their body works. Hmm. Uh, but the UK is, a, is an example where prenatal education, antenatal classes are taken seriously. Most hospitals will have them. Um, but in other places of the world, it doesn't exist at all. But there are countries, Costa Rica is one of them, and a lot of Latin countries where Mexico isn't, unfortunately, but where in the public hospitals, part of the service they give uh, is, a, is a course, and most people will take that prenatal course. Mm -hmm. uh, but now with, with there's a lot of, we have to understand that these things carry, um, there's status involved so there's status involved with a private clinic cesarean scheduled cesarean but there's also status in a home birth with a midwife as much as you know people don't want to recognize that they, these are both status symbols and the only way of giving birth in this continuum is public health hospital that doesn't cost any money but the rest do so that creates a you know a mix in the demographic of who can actually use them but what we have are people because of so much information on the internet basically thinking that they can google anything they really need they, there isn't really the whole idea of preparing for childbirth has been taken out of the equation of having a respectful humanized positive birth experience why don't we talk more about preparation that is a big component in having a good we have on this side we have institutionalized childbirth education, which basically just tells you this is the way you're going to have a baby because this is the way we um, attend first in this hospital. And they want you to be a good patient. So they don't tell you all the other ways to give birth and everything else. Um, whereas on this side, basically, even though they often say that they're open and objective and don't demonize having a birth in the hospital, they really, you know, if I were to observe them, listen to the, the choice of words, the body language and whatnot, there definitely is a feeling of having a birth here is better than having a birth here. And, um, 
And what we really have to see is, you know, is that our place to kind of tell people that when maybe some people, the values that they get here, which is reliability, more control, more predictability, hierarchy in case of a complication, safety, those things might be more important to some people than human kindness, accompaniment, um, more natural birth, you know, and those things, each person has to find out what really is right for them at that moment. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of fear-based decision-making coming from this side. And that is true. And decisions based on information that isn't necessarily accurate. But it also happens here where there's confirmation bias and the information that's given here is really tailored to fit the belief system of the people on this side. Um, so it's also not, there's evidence um, that isn't always reliable, you know? So we choose what evidence we want to use. It's not really being objective. Um, and I just, I am just asking to have that open conversation. So I think, for example, this side, there's a lot more authority. And some people expecting their first baby, they want to feel that they are in um, company with someone with authority. It makes them feel more confident. And here, when I try and work with new professionals about standing in their authority, um, I'll either get total denial or I'll get people say, yeah, I really have a conflict with being authoritative because I feel that I'm like taking advantage of the person and not giving them that horizontal relationship. But that horizontal relationship, I think, is a fallacy. What horizontal relationship? If it's a horizontal relationship, then I might as well just ask my neighbor to come with me at my birth. The reason these people are professionals is because they have certain skill sets that makes them different than their client, patient, or student. And so um, the discussion of authority, I think, is a big issue. You know, I find there, there's a lot of trepidation with new doulas kind of assuming authority or taking too much authority. And there's a lot of authority here because it's true. This system requires it. But people saying that they're no longer satisfied personally with having all the authority and they want to learn how to share it more with their patients, clients and students. Do you think that this imbalance in authority, or it's not necessarily in authority, but it's how the professional feels about their authoritative status, let's say. Mm -hmm. On the system side that you've outlined, most people within that framework are employed and it's their job. So they have a full time job and they are a nurse, an OBGYN. They pull a salary. And so they're, they're relying on the authority of their employer. You know, they work for a hospital and they're kind of borrowing that authority, even though internally they might not feel very much in their power. Whereas on the other side of your chart, you've got people that work for themselves that are self-employed. And the minute you make, the minute you work for yourself, there's a huge piece there around whether I feel I have that authority that it's very easy to borrow when you're being employed and you can borrow the brand or the organization in which you, you work. And, yeah. I, and, I think, and as somebody that's gone from kind of being employed to working for myself, I definitely can attest to that sense of, you know, I'm still doing the same stuff, but where I was, I just felt a lot more authoritative when I was had the brand and the business around me than when I was doing on my own. And yeah. so we have these, because the, the, the other side of your chart, the natural side, for want of a better word, is, is full of maybe independent freelancers, you know, people that work for themselves. And so they, they've got a bigger job, internal job, I feel, to do in order to feel that same sense of authority and confidence in their work. 
that maybe the guy, those that are on the the uh, institutionalized side, don't have to do, and maybe they're kind of they might be a little bit overconfident in their authority, maybe act too much, and and therefore maybe come across a little bit more. I don't know, not arrogant, but maybe you know, sort of, yeah, this is how it's going to go down. Whether you like it or not, like, honey, you've done it here. We're doing it this way, and 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 this is where maybe this is where some some families do feel they've lost control of that birth experience because they're now being told what to do and they don't feel like they have choice in the same way. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this this idea that well, organisation? Really point, um, but I think it's it's more of an internal thing than an external thing. It's it's more of when the person speaks with the pregnant woman it's the relationship that that person is creating whether it's five minutes in a prenatal consultation or whether it's you know during the birth or in a prenatal class or in the interview with the doula or you know it's 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 how we communicate and how much of ourselves do we share as much the personal with the professional it's that right balance of both mm. and so this idea i'm talking i mean midwives autonomous midwives they're badasses they got a lot of you know i mean they don't need any help with their authority mm. i would say it's more the new professionals um that are more new on the scene that have a lot of passion and a lot of desire to serve and be empathetic but don't have enough experience and basics in physiology to feel confident enough to project authority. And there's nothing, it's almost like it's a dirty word. It's almost like if I'm an empathetic person, then being authoritative is like contrary to that. And it's really not, in my opinion. So on the other side, you have people who feel that their um, their authority has been supplanted um, that it's dictated to them, that it's there's all these regulations and protocols, and it's very difficult to work in that setting. These are individuals who need to connect with their patient in a way that they're respected, but they're also um, where a relationship is formed based on a, a heart-to-heart connection. This is what they know they need this is why they chose this field to go into it and they have to somehow work with a system that doesn't always allow that to happen and it's not because they don't want it to happen it's that it's quite difficult to do and i think they deserve a lot more um, respect and recognition for how difficult it is to work in that system with the values that they have and what they don't get is respect from the other side, frankly, it's almost like they are, um, they are, there's this kind of insinuation that, that until they break out on their own and become an independent midwife with home birth, then will they actually be, um, be truly able to be the midwives that, that, you know, they should be. Um, But most babies are born in hospitals. I mean, that's where the work has to be done. Granted, we have more home births and it's wonderful and water birth and doulas. All these things are fantastic, but we can't just dump the other side and say that um, that only this side is the valid side. You know, I feel that most women, if they were given the chance and could financially afford it, would want to go to a birthing center. 
And if you look around the world, this is the most discriminated way of having a baby. They make it very difficult to open birth centers. They're, the governments, the Ministry of Health, I mean, it's they make it quite difficult. So when there's a successful birth home that opens anywhere around the world, we want to applaud that. Because that's not the extreme. It's getting more around the middle. And I feel that the changes that are really going to happen are going to be in this space where we use a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it's not one or the other. And when we go way into the extremes, that should be a choice for some people, but most people will not want to have that kind of an experience. And here we have a lot of activism. Here we might have a little bit more advocacy. You know, there's a lot of really angry people that want to almost prepare their client to go out like a good soldier and battle the system and make it better. And I don't feel that that's their place, frankly. Um, we have efforts on in all the categories trying to make changes, even though this is seen as they aren't, but they really are. It's changing in the right direction around the world. Um, I personally like hospitals that employ doulas as part of their staff. For me, that is that is a win-win that's taking the qualities of both sides and offering something that really will help um, the couples. But then you'll have doulas saying, well, they're not real doulas because they're working for a hospital. And, you know, real doulas can't work for a hospital because then become, they become part of the system. And I don't think that's fair again. Um, I, I don't want to sound like I'm just bashing the doula movement because there are amazing individuals out there doing incredible things um, that are just absolutely, they're, they go unrecognized and these people do it for all the right reasons. But as groups, um, I find a lot of resistance to recognizing where they could improve. Um, so what's happening in the hospital side that's improving then? Because there is a lot of fear within that system. It's a very toxic system, typically. The UK is incredibly toxic with midwives that are just, morale is at the, yes, on the floor. You know, they're overworked, yeah. underpaid. Um, and so, and I, I don't, you know, I can't speak in terms of other countries. Um, then in, in France, they're not really allowed home births. I mean, for a woman to have a home birth, she's got to jump through so many hoops and pay so much money to be able to do that. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, you know, the, the hospital environment does seem to be the place where a lot of births are geared towards. But also there is inherently a lot of fear within that system. One, because the system itself is incredibly toxic. There are lots of people that are worried about losing their jobs that have got lots of unresolved trauma, that are projecting fears of their own. I mean, it's, it feels like it's a melting pot that 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 creates that that doesn't kind of that yeah that doesn't seem to be dissipating that fear and moving. So I'd love to hear when you're saying it's changing and it's changing for the better. What are some of the things that are happening? Because that's well, not what well, I'm I, hearing in in many. Well, I, I think the more we keep saying it's toxic, I mean, there are a lot of people working every day doing great things in that system that is just you know we're just you can't just say it's all toxic. It's not. They don't have the support of, of all of you because you're like, you're in this toxic system, then it's not true. Why do we keep saying that? There are there are many hospitals that are outdated and are stuck 
but it's the individual in these hospitals. It's not, it, it's not an entity. It's, it's the individuals that work there every day. And you don't know what personal thing each one is doing with a certain patient to make that patient feel better. How many times a day going home every night and going back the next day and doing it. And knowing that all you people are just saying it's a bunch of crap, what they're doing, it's this toxic system. There's no, 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 it's, it's like, that's not helping. How are you helping these people? You're not, I'm not meaning you, but they're not being recognized. They're not being for what they do. And it's just like thrown into this huge category. Um, for example, I'll just take an example in Argentina. In Argentina, we have a hospital in Bahia Blanca. It's not even in Buenos Aires. They all went and did a water birth course with Barbara Harper. And they just, you know, and they got some money from I don't know where this hospital and they decided to invest in a whole big natural birth wing of the maternity hospital. But they realized that they didn't really have, uh, they couldn't really train the staff because they hadn't been doing non-interventive birth. And so they asked a local prenatal educator in Dula, who had been very professional, has a basis in education, if she would create a training program for the staff, which she did, which ended up being amazing. The whole staff was so enthusiastic. They started to have these non-intervention births with water birth or not. And the response started to be amazing. And the two other hospitals in the city said, well, we want to do it too. And I mean, those things are happening. Mm. Yeah, we, no, that sounds incredible. It's amazing. And it and they went, they crossed the aisle into a non-medical person and asked that person to train them. I mean, that is amazing. Mm. And that there are examples of that, and I could give you lots of them. Um, there are, we have in Hyderabad, India, in the Fernandez Hospital, for example, they have a great prenatal education program, and they they talk to the couples about choices. And the couple chooses, do I want a gynecologist to attend my birth? Do I want a midwife to train my birth? Do I want a doula present? They make these choices and they give them the options. It's not like you either get this or this. It's no, no. These are the advantages of having an OBGYN. These are the advantages of having a midwife. These are the advantages of having or not a doula. And they just make the choice. But there's not this kind of like, we only represent one type of birthing. No, they're, they're opening up to including other ways. Um, and there are changes like that. I mean, we have cases of, um, you know, we have like uh, Doctora Susana Bueno in Colombia. She started to get involved with um, the indigenous community. So when they start looking at what's happening in the indigenous populations, there's examples of this, I have a bunch of them where the traditional hospital started to open their minds to including other ways of birthing thanks to the influence of studying their own local indigenous populations. They painted the birth room so they would be more, more the colors and the, the way that the indigenous population would wanna have. I mean, there are these openings of trying mm -hmm. to work collaboratively and broaden their services, being more humanistic, for the sake of everybody, but we've got to stop bashing them all and putting them in a category like they're all toxic. They're not. But it sounds like some of those initiatives are, are coming from the top. They're coming down. And 
And where, so where there isn't that maybe leadership that is going for change, then you have the people that are on the cold face, the front line of healthcare, which is like the midwives, those that are giving care directly to those that are needing the care, um, doing the very best they can in that front line position, but not getting the support from managers no, from no, and, and maybe that's is that where this conflict is coming, where you've got sorry. these people that are doing amazing work and doing what they can to to not feel like the system's making them do it a certain way. And they, they, they're creating these moments, these pockets of magic and wonder, but they're just not, they're not being supported within that environment themselves. No, but, but they're yeah. getting, there's resources they can get. So there's many midwives who are trained with, for example, Nuria Vives, which is, uh, I don't know how to translate this. It's like birth with movement. Um, sensory awareness, many, 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 almost, I mean, I can't tell you how many midwives in Spain have received her courses. There's um, the Lakshmi method, many, many, many midwives. There's Esther Navarro, who did hypnobirth style training. Many, many, many midwives from all of the hospitals in the country have received training. I mean, they're getting outside training. And it's improving greatly um, what they're doing. And um, so they're, they're, they're branching out beyond, you know, the hospitals are looking for continued education from different sources. And are we seeing a change in birth outcomes in Spain? Like this, this, this pace of change or this um, change that's going on in Spain, are we seeing anything happening at the, in terms of let's say the C-section rate changing or the the rates of not satisfaction of birth experiences among women, I don't know if they track that, but you know, to see well, what is the what what's all that bringing about in terms of the experience of the family? Are we are we is that do we know what impact that's happening? That's having. Well, I mean, it's it's um, you know, in it's the C-section rate is extraordinarily high. In uh, in, pri in, in private clinics, basically wherever there's a dollar to be made, whether it's in India or it's in Chile or, you know, it's in Mexico, it's almost 90 to 100 percent mm. section rate. That's an abomination. That is something that I mean, that is absolutely unacceptable. And why there hasn't been more outrage since 30 years ago when it started to happen, I don't understand. This is a huge topic that is. Just, you know, that's definitely not a lot we can do with the with the private clinics. They're, be they're becoming more and more. They appear to be, well, you know, we offer water birth and birth plans, and it's all just fake commercialization in order to look like they're open to natural birth, but they are not. Okay, so, so I am saying, I'm not going to even talk about this, but this is a big problem. <laughs> There's no question. Um, and that's basically where OBGYNs are. And that's where almost everybody else that agrees that that is a huge problem. <laughs> so I'm focusing when I say, when we talk about this, the toxicity, this, I agree with you, and that we'll have to do in another conversation, but I'm trying to get more open-mindedness about public hospitals, because that's where most people are giving birth in the world. Mm. And we can't just dump it saying, you know, it's it's just stuck in this horrible system. No, it's really, we have to look at what it entails to work in these systems and how people on their own are trying to make a difference. 
mm. and they just need a little bit of support from this side and stop bashing them so much, you know, work, mm. help them, ask them to come give part of your class, listen to them, respect them, you know, because what we have is so much resentment between public hospital midwives and obstetrical nurses and doulas, for example, it is, it is big, the resentment. Very, very big. And do you notice that in any countries in particular? Is that, you were talking, you know, is it, it, where, where is that strong in your in view? In Spain, it's, I mean, the Catalanes, it's very, very, very strong. Um, I see it, I don't, I don't ever talk about the States and Canada. I don't know that much about the UK, Australia, westernized countries. I don't know that much. Mm. Um, but I know that maybe in countries like all of Latin America, where it's more conventional. It's hard to make changes because it's really not at the forefront of uh, of um, the, I don't know how to say it in English, you know, the, the new breakthrough pioneering things. They're trying to do that, but it's, they're, they're, it's harder for them to do it because the system, that the culture is so established in a certain way. Um, there, the relationship is not good. Mm. Uh, it's really not. There's a lot of resentment. And it's because um, of what we've been talking about, this kind of the way we talk about them, the way we put them in a category that's basically there's no hope for them. They're just do all this shit work and, you know, they're all frustrated and burned out. And, you know, and, and that's true. But so let's help them not just keep saying, you know, God, that's the shit. When are you going to get out of that place? No, I mean, let's. Let's kind of see where they are doing things well. But also, I think doulas especially and doula training programs need to be more professional. Um, I think because they, they part of the reason that so much resentment occurs is because doulas don't pay taxes. They're not regulated. They don't have protocols. They don't have to spend time filling out, you know, this um, files and things to in order to be at the end of the day. They don't have anywhere near the responsibility that an obstetrical nurse, a doctor or a midwife has. OK, we don't talk about that. They get all the credit. They make so much more money than these midwives make. They make so much more money than these midwives make. I'm well, saying that again. Well, no, I, I well, per some hour. might, but a lot don't. <laughs> no, but per hour, per hour for for the work they get, a few thousand euros is what these women make in a month. Okay, so I'm just saying why there's resentment, hmm. and so and they don't have the responsibility of you know this very serious. There's a life and death part of giving birth that the doulas don't have to be responsible for. Okay, and that comes with there's a there's a weightiness of having that responsibility. Mm. I, I don't. I'm not sure whether doulas might agree with you on many of those they points, don't. and I wouldn't want to speak for them. But I, you know, there are women, there are doulas that maybe maybe only charge a thousand dollars for the birth, and they might be there for 24 hours. So they're not just there for a few hours. So the so there's a lot of things you just shared there that I wouldn't want to step yeah. in and speak for a doula. Just I, they they do carry the weight of that that those even though they might not have maybe the responsibility that maybe the legal responsibility to whatever it is, they, they certainly carry a lot of that weight, emotional they, weight. No, they carry the emotional weight, but they also act like they invented empathy. 
what like they're the only ones who ha they have to be there in order to ensure that there's kindness and empathy and support. They're not the only ones that do that. I'm also a doula. I've attended, you know, over 100 births. I know exactly what it is to be a doula. I know what it is to have three or four days of not I know exactly what it is. And I know that I'm just saying that the part of the perception, again, I'm just telling you why there's resentment is mm. because when most midwives that work, I'll just take a country like Uruguay, they work six days a week, they work 12 hours a day, they make a thousand, about a thousand euros a month, that's their paycheck, okay? So if I get 600 euros for a birth, and I know now many are making way more than that, it just, and they're not paying taxes on it and they don't have to, you know, it's like, and the responsibility, the emotional responsibility, everybody has, but the physiological part of the medical aspect of any birth, which comes with years and years and years of training, that is a huge responsibility that doulas do not have. Okay. Mm. Of course they have responsibility, but you can't compare the safety, the medical, the well-being, the physiological well-being of the baby who has a complication um, and who's going to make that be okay, it's not the doula. She doesn't know anything about that. That's not her role. It's someone who has a huge responsibility mm. in order to try and resolve that kind of a complication. I mean, yeah. you, you just can't compare them. And if you do, then that's what's going to create this backlash. No, because but we're not trying to compare because the doula is not there for the physiological, for the for the complication situation. They are there to support the right. family on an emotional level and to to be the so they're not they're not trying to be that but without wanting to get into the throes of doula bashing which i don't want this to be because they you know what is it that we can do or that they can do because to 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 to, to get around this because i also feel that you know even though you've mentioned doulas a lot there's also let's say lactation consultants or you know, breastfeeding consultants that come in and, and that are also supporting that maybe aren't giving, maybe they're, not, they're also not communicating in a way that is helpful, that okay. is, that maybe they're, they're easy to shame mothers around those situations. You know, there's okay. a lot of that judgment and shame and guilt that is coming from all sides. Yes. And midwives are very good at dishing that out as well. Everybody is, because yes. they're all humans yeah. and they've all got unresolved stuff. That means that that they're just and they're tired. This will go back to what I started with is when you're tired and you've just worked, you're on a 12 hour shift and it's your fourth of that week in a row. And you're, you've got severe anxiety that you're trying to keep under a lid in the corner. Then all your like unconscious biases, all your triggers, all your all your shit's going to come out and you're going to be super judgmental, super triggering, super. You're going to be all those things and it's not going to be your best version of yourself, but you you can't even try to do that because you're barely functioning you haven't even had lunch that day so there's a lot of people functioning in that kind of environment that makes it really hard to be on your best yeah. and to deliver in the way that you know deep down you'd truly like to do but some yeah. people so so I'm just trying to how how can we help people to better serve in that environment yeah so that they can be more mindful and conscious of the different players and well Absolutely. Keep in mind the family that they're serving. Well, I mean, that is the most important question of this whole conversation. <laughs> and that's the work I do in my workshops. I try and get us to a place 
where we can actually let down our guard and recognize what we have in common with the other and the intention of the other and not make it about us versus them in a black and white world and trying to understand how maybe we're creating more division than unity. And it starts with an openness of recognizing that we have work to do. Mm. And so this kind of um, arrogance, self-righteousness, almost bullying. I get a lot of bullying. If I write anything on social media, I'm going to get bullied. Like, you know, um, just because there's a way to say things. And if you don't say it the way they like, you know, that that is not conducive to any change. Okay. Mm. So um if these training programs actually include a lot about professional ethics, about communication for a united front, um, opening ourselves and letting down our guard and trying to be able to feel a little bit of empathy, not only for our client, but for other birth workers, you know, applying that same, being congruent with what our values are, but not just for a select few, actually applying it in the way we conduct ourselves with the choices we make, with the words we use, with the way we interact with each other. Um, I would like to see more respect for the elders, the ones who have come before the, I mean, the I'm sorry to keep going back to Julius, but they are the main new thing in the last 20 years that has totally um, thrown something in the mix of the whole birth world. I mean, this has been a phenomenal contribution, but they're not the doulas that Penny Simkin talked about 30 years ago. They didn't make decisions, this and this and this. I mean, now they're much more, um, they, they, some of them, you know, do much more than than a company. You know, they they prepare, they're activists, they're they they believe very strongly about things, and they um, they want to make a difference. I mean, it comes from the right places. But I think if we could just talk about, for example, I work a lot with what I call perinatal communication and pedagogy. It's how do we communicate? to ourselves, to our clients, to our patients, to our students, but to each other, to our colleagues. You know, how do we make these references? Why do we use words that automatically will open or close doors? Why don't we find words that make that are more from the middle and make people feel that they can they can come towards you instead of feeling that you are not open to hearing them on either side. Mm. And uh you know, I give I give lectures to doctors in public hospitals and and, you know, because I have a lot of prejudice against them. And until I see them personally in front of me and hear them, their stories and their family and that they didn't sleep and that they have a colleague that they don't agree with the way he conducts himself. But, you know, just hear it. It's like it totally makes them human and mm-hmm. I can put a face to it. And it it is so important that I make sure that I am fair in in anything that I'm reporting because I've I've really listened to each of them and I hear they're all really wanting the same thing. It's not like the good guys and the bad guys. It's like so I really um think that if we can make it personal and really see the human being in front of us with their story, 
we can see their humanity and we can see that they're also frustrated with things that, that they don't know how to change. Mm. But it's got to come with, with humility and saying that, that I myself um, also am at fault and I myself sometimes make that same mistake and I myself would do good by recognizing it and trying to make a difference by changing myself mm. instead mm. of just everyone else. So, I mean, um, some people are open to these workshops and a lot of people feel very threatened by them, but I mm. think they make a huge difference. You know, everybody, it's amazing. You've got, you've got mm, professionals crying, you know, just, it's like opening up this thing of there's all this, you have to remember why people chose to even be in this whole big birth field, whether it's very biomedical or or not. I mean, it comes from a really, really beautiful place. Mm. And they want that to be seen. And they mm. know that sometimes it it isn't. And so, so is I, the answer that the is is this something that we I feel like this needs to come from the top, like that, that this needs to be incorporated, like hospitals need to be more open and bring it, you know, like support the midwives, bring in some of these people from the other side, let's say, but yeah. also that the doula training organizations need to bring in, you know, make sure it's very clear that there is communication, that there's, you know, a, a, not inclusive, I don't use that word, but that that sense of respect and, and moral ethics about that informs their work. And I'm sure a lot of those doula training organizations say, well, yeah, sure, we do that. But maybe, maybe they don't all do it in the best way they could. Question mark. I don't know. But so but at the moment, it feels like maybe the, 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 the responsibility of that sits on the individual to just go and find another training program to kind of kit them up with another avenue of expertise so that they're better suited to that. And then, then that can feel quite overwhelming for somebody that's maybe working for themselves, that, that's got to do their marketing and all the rest of it to try and, you know, keep keep food on the table. So where do you see the, how do we move forward with this? Like, where, where does this sit? Is it just some people who've got to find the workshops on their own? Or, or should it, are we talking to the, the decision makers here in the birth industry to say, hey guys, Come on, let's sort this out. We've got to take it seriously. It's all good. Yes, 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 and yes for everything you just said. But ultimately, it's the birthing family that has to ask for these changes. We we can't just do it for them. They're the ones who have to, from the grassroots, they're the ones who have to say this is unacceptable and we're not going to, you know, we're why are we doing all this energy? All we can do is is create a couple who is open to searching for their own answers based on something that feels right for them and supporting them and that they have um, a voice that if they feel like using it, could it make a difference in the world? But whether they use it or not, I mean, that's for them to do, right? And this is where I think this is where this, this kind of idea falls down because not enough families take birth seriously enough. You get a lot of women and they just work right up to the two weeks before their due date, one week before their due date. They've got no birth prep. They don't, they're more interested in buying the right pram and the yeah. car seat than yeah. investing in preparing up here and here for their birth. And this is why we have uh, the work that I do, which is with women that have had those terrible first births because that's what they did. And now they definitely don't want to have that happen again. And now they're taking it seriously second time around 
And now they've got birth trauma under their belt. And the reason they've got birth trauma is because they ended up going along with a system that didn't treat them well, that bullied them. You know, so so there's this kind of where well, you know, how well, do they, we fix I mean I I love this because, you know, my my baby is prenatal education. Like I said before, why aren't we giving more importance to the preparation period? It can make a huge difference. Huge. Yeah. Huge difference. And we're just like, we're just making it seem like it's not that big of a deal when it is so important. And um, it's that disconnect, you know. So part of, well, at least the method I use and I train people in this is you know, this kind of like how to awaken the couple from this disconnect. Um, but it's not by standing there on a box and, and telling them what they need to do. It's very subtle, very subtle. And then you, the empowerment, you know, sometimes the birth will be the what empowers them. But let's not wait for that to happen because it, it might go the other way and so we need to work on the empowering in the preparation period where they're given practical tools to actually find their voice and practice using it. You can't expect a person to speak up for themselves when they've never done it with authority figures their entire life. And so it's um, that's what we're doing. We're actually getting them to connect with that part of themselves for the right reasons, not out of pressure. And little by little, oftentimes we'll need more than that first birth. We'll 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 get the payback will be the second or third birth, you know, but it's never going to totally leave them. The birth is just one part of it. They're gonna have difficulties with raising that child, especially mm -hmm. with authority issues and speaking up and negotiating and boundaries, all these things are going to be issues that mm -hmm. we see as prenatal educators that we want to help them recognize and support them and that they can find the resources to work on it, but we can't make them do anything because imposition is absolutely unacceptable. You know, it's that's when you abuse your authority and some are ready and some aren't, but we can give them we can surround them with um, with practical tools. Um, this is a huge thing. I mean, I feel this side often will idealize birth and this will make it so, so frightening because they'll talk about all the complications and why it's necessary that you have to have an IV and you have to do this in case of this and that. I mean, but this is also way over to the side of unicorns and rainbows and orgasms and ancestral connection with a birth goddess and this and that. And I mean, some people basically they just want a healthy baby and a positive birth experience. They don't need all the extra accessories mm -hmm. that that is promised on that other side. I mean, again, finding that balance. But I mean, if we can take anything from this, it's like I think. The preparation period is critical that they be couples learn to find their voice, how to express it, what really matters to them. Values clarification, values can be taught. Um, a lot of these things are, are, this is the moment because you have that couple with that, that vulnerability, that openness, that porous emotionality that makes it so amazing 
what they experienced during that period. And, you know, this whole conversation, we haven't even mentioned the baby, you know, and again, it's like, there's gotta be that, that connection with the, with the baby um, that sometimes we don't even, you know, how can we talk about birth and not talk about the baby, you know, about that connection with the baby and, um, and a lot of couples feel very, it's too abstract for them. The whole idea is abstract. I mean, they're basically, when you can like make them fill with wonder and understand what the miraculous of what's happening and what's going on inside their bodies and how the child is communicating with them. And I mean, you can just like, wow, it can be amazing. Childbirth education can be just like amazing. So hopefully people will take the career of the professional of childbirth ed education more seriously. They'll get the training they need to do it better. They won't do it without the training, but they'll say, I think I need the training so I can do it more effectively. I want more skills um, and go for it and get those things. And, and because, you know, you can't, you can't have another chance at it. This is one time the birth is coming and if it's not, a, you didn't use your time really well, you know, um, that's a shame. It was a missed opportunity. So, you know, um, yeah, I would love people to get more interested in childbirth education as key. To but I, I think that the education bit is one piece because the other piece is you can't just tell someone this is how you speak up for yourself. Because no. if they don't have that in the inner work done to enable them to do that they're never going to be able to speak up for themselves right. so you can learn right. the tools or have some practical strategies it's but you have to confront those inner conflicts experiential it's all experiential yeah. we get rid of the theoretical we don't use powerpoint presentations this is hands-on these are very simple methods i would be happy to give a free class on some of the strategies we use to make this interiorize into mm. themselves so that they understand what it feels like to use your mm. voice and mm. then go from there. Mm. I'd be happy yeah. to do that if anybody's interested. <laughs> well, we'll wrap it up there, Jenny, because I feel like we could carry on for a long time and, um, and like, we're slightly over. So I uh, just want to thank you for this brilliant conversation. And I hope, I think there's going to be a lot here for doulas to think about, midwives to think about, families yeah. to think about. Yeah, I yeah. really, I please don't be mad at me. Any of them, everyone, everyone in the birth movement is amazing. Each one does it for the right reason. It's just like, let's just um, recognize where we're being misunderstood and let's try and correct it with humility and get the training we need when we don't have it. That's all. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. And if anybody wants to track you down to do your training or to bring you in in some capacity, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me through you or just uh, write to me at um, my email, which is, uh, I'm trying to pronounce it in English, Previda, P-R-E-V-I-D-A at gmail.com. Okay. Thanks, Jenny. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. How was that? Let me stop the recording. You've been listening to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast with me, Alexia Leachman. Fear Free Childbirth is the online destination for women seeking to take the fear out of pregnancy, birth and beyond. 
with fear clearance meditations, self-healing products and courses, professional training and specialist programs for overcoming tocophobia. And if you've enjoyed this episode, then check out the fear-free childbirth mama ship. It's a bit like Netflix, where you can binge on a boatload more fear-free childbirth content to inspire you on the journey to motherhood and beyond. More interviews, more birth stories, more expert wisdom. Visit fearfreechildbirth.com to find out more.